I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She. I set the bar too low. That was my biggest mistake. That was the most consistent mistake I made. Mm -hmm. So my advice to younger women is have confidence in yourself, trust yourself, be audacious. In this episode, I interview Hope Felton-Miller, a versatile female leader with proven ability to perform within large organizations and as a successful entrepreneur. We discuss topics including not setting the bar high enough for yourself, whether or not there is a level playing field as far as gender is concerned, and how to leverage a disarming style to win customers and clients. Thank you for coming in. Thanks so much for having me. I love being here. Yeah, great. Hope founded her own company. She's had a long and successful career, and we know each other through the YWCA and our board service, and that's how we met, and I've always liked you, and you were one of my very short list of people I wanted to interview oh, thank first. thank you. Thank so, you. That's great. Uh, but uh, let's, let's start by, why don't you give us your background, your career, and kind of where you started and where you ended up, and let's start there. <laughs> well, I'll give you the short version because it's been a long and circuitous route. Uh, I started, uh, like so many people, studying in college something I liked, um, which was science, and I have degrees in biology and medical technology, and I worked for several years in medical technology before realizing that while I found the subject matter interesting, I really didn't like the work that much and decided I wanted to do something else. Uh, it's a whole other story, but in what a matter... What did you like about the work? Let me interrupt you there. What, what didn't well, you like about it? Uh, you know, it was, in a word, I would say it had more to do with my hands than my head most of the time, and I really live in my head. I'm not that good with my hands. So... In, in, I made kind of a snap decision, as so many of my decisions have been, and decided the thing to do would be to go to business school, even though I had never taken a business course nor worked for any for-profit organization. <laughs> and I managed to talk my way into business school in a matter of about four months. Um, I was in business school, so I got an MBA. Mm-hmm. Um, and you knew what that's what you wanted to do, right? Like it, you knew it wasn't science. It right. Was, this was the other thing, right. and other people were like, well, you want to do what? And then you said, <laughs> okay, I, I want to do business. I want to get into business. Well, it was it actually it was a little more complicated than that. But, you know, again, sometimes you start out in one direction, and then you find the path leads in another. So when I started, I really thought I was going into hospital administration. And the advice that I got was, oh, no, don't get an, an MHA. Get an MBA, it will be more valuable to you in hospital administration. Hmm. But then I got into uh, the business world and found that, you know, this profit thing was kind of interesting. And one thing led to another. And the next thing you know, I'm, you know, working for a Fortune 50 company mm-hmm. um, with a shockingly small amount of background. <laughs> <laughs> I had a degree, I did not have a lot of practical experience going into that. So uh, I spent about almost 15 years there. Okay. And I look back on it now and think that was a miracle because I I did fairly well. Um, But I was not in the place that I was meant to be. Um, Again, 2020 hindsight. And you knew that. You felt that. Yeah. By the time I left, I knew I had been in the wrong place. And when I say the wrong place, that's that's not really fair. Um, Remember that I went into it with very little experience. And I look back on those years and I say, gee, I learned so much and I learned from the best and I came out with a great network. Um, It really set me up for success in my own business. So when I started my own business, 
I was all set to go. Mm-hmm. It felt as comfortable as an old shoe. It was, in fact, what I was meant to do, mm-hmm. but I was prepared for it. Yeah, and when did that happen? How long you were with the Fortune 50 company, and then you mm-hmm. started your own business? You knew that that's what you were meant to do. How old yeah. were you then, and what, 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 what was behind that decision? Well, I come from a family of entrepreneurs, so I guess that was always in my head as something that I would want to do. Um, and when I made finally made the decision, I had I had just had a baby. Hmm. I was forty one years old, and I said, you know, if if I'm ever going to do this, now is the time to do it. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the two op, you know, the two possible paths, and said, I'm going that way. I'm you know turning right, making a career switch. So I did. And again, looking back, I was never scared. I never felt like I was making a risky decision. I knew I could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I was 40 when I started mm-hmm. my company with partners, and I knew in my heart, and I knew as far as ambition mm-hmm. and motivation that this is where I belonged. I was scared, and I had a lot of <laughs> naysayers. Did yeah. you have naysayers that said, what are you doing? Actually, not so much, because no. again, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Yeah. So nobody nobody thought that was odd within my family. Um, And the people around me, it was kind of interesting. Actually, I think I got a bit of um, envy, a little bit of envy. And, you know. That you wanted to have your own company. Well, right. And it was, Mm -hmm. you know, weren't weren't you scared? And, you know, weren't you, you know, why did you think this was a good thing to do? And Mm -hmm. uh, But people were very curious about it more than naysaying. Mm -hmm. So tell me, Felton Willis, what what do you do? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the the quick background, when I was in the corporate world, I was in marketing. So I was a heavy user of market research. And I always found it very interesting, to, and, and probably the best part of my job, to really dig deep and understand what drives or motivates customers and then translate that back into a business strategy. So when I started my own company, I said, Oh, market research. Surely I can figure that out. I've seen a lot of of reports and things, um, and this is what I really love to do. Um, And I chose to specialize in qualitative research. So that's interviews. At that time, it was focus groups, heavy on focus groups. It's evolved a good bit, but it's still all about interviewing people. And and I'm good at that. Mm -hmm. Um, And with the business background I had, again, it set me up to be able to Think like a client and say, all right, here's here's what they said, here's what it means, and here's what you should do with your business. So it was easy to translate it all the way into the business recommendation, which not all researchers can do. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, you and I have about the same length of business experience, about 40 years, give or take. And I spent the first 13 years of my career in a corporate setting, and you about yeah. the same time, We have a lot years. of parallels. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't know some of this until we talked. But um, So you're in, you're in a corporate setting as a woman, and you're in an entrepreneurial setting as a woman. How is it different? You know, what are, how are the expectations different, politics, mm-hmm. you know, business development? You know, tell me mm-hmm. about that. Well, so, some things are the same and some things are different. Um, the, the things that are the same with regard to gender kinds of issues, mm-hmm. um, 
like every woman, I think, who has ever operated in a business setting. You know, we you have the experience of you put forth an idea, everybody kind of looks at you blankly and then carries on, and then five minutes later, a guy puts forth the same idea and somebody jumps on the table and says, my God, that's brilliant. Uh, and And you think at first, oh, I did it wrong. I said it wrong. I didn't articulate it right. I didn't speak with enough authority. I told the wrong person. You know, it's somehow your fault. And it's not. It's not. It's, it's just, not. you know. But you have the opportunity to say, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I just said that. It was my right. idea. Did you have that opportunity? <laughs> not often. Not very often. And again, you know, for, for early in my career. Right. We're going I, along. Again, I kept thinking, oh, well, it's my fault. I, I need to learn how to do something different. Say it the way he said it. Right. Even though that may not right. have been it at all. Exactly. Exactly. So things like that are kind of the same. Mm-hmm. You do have to, um, we've talked about this a, a good bit, and people listening can't see me, but I'm I'm exceptionally short, <laughs> um, and I have a Southern accent. <laughs> So, I can hear that. Yeah. <laughs> and I can dial it up yes. if you want. <laughs> Make it stronger or right, not as right. strong as you need right. to. But I've, I've never worked very hard to get rid of it. But it is true that uh, when people first meet me, I think their first thought is, oh, this this is a woman. She's not very tough. Um Maybe a little delicate. I might have to treat her with white, you know, uh, you know, gloves a little mm-hmm. bit. Um and the southern accent, people's first foot down is, oh, this person's a little mentally slow or moves at a slower pace. <laughs> Not everyone thinks that, but I understand yeah. what you're saying. Well, and, yeah. we, and we've talked about that where, you know, if you are uh, white, male, tall, athletic, you have advantages. Mm-hmm. And anyone who is not that way has some kind of a, I wouldn't say disadvantage, but there are biases. Well, right. That's right? exactly right. And, you know, and it's not to be, you know, a, a victim because a lot of people are disadvantaged. I mean, white men who are short are disadvantaged versus a tall man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the data is very clear on all of that. Um, blondes often do better than, you know, if, if you're a male, a blonde does better. If you're a female, not so much. Um, when you interview enough people, you know that, right? Right, right. <laughs> well, it's been very interesting in my research career to learn how men and women really approach group tasks differently. Mm-hmm. Um, women immediately, their their MO, and I find this, I'll just take focus groups as an example. Mm-hmm. While they're in the waiting room waiting, they already start forming a circle and finding common ground. Mm. You know, what do you do for a living? Where do your kids go to school? What part of town do you live in? Whatever, they're, they're looking for it. Mm-hmm. And then once you're in the interview set, uh, session, they very quickly start taking care of each other. So if, you know, somebody thinks, they, they will often say to me as a moderator, uh, oh, I think you missed what Mary said. Mary, tell her again. Um, so they take care of they each take other. Care of you. They That's sort of how they bond do it. out there as right. a group. Men, on the other hand, their first order of business is to establish the hierarchy. Mm. Um, they have to know who's going to be the alpha male, who's going to be you know the key lieutenants, and you know what what is the role that everybody's going to play. So I find that when doing a focus group with men, you almost you have to give them a group task to do first. 
which gives them an opportunity to sort out their roles, and then the group can move forward. Hmm. If they yeah, don't all, do that. Bella's coming in reading the power in the room. Right. 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 And women don't always naturally do that. I think I, yeah. I do it. Maybe you do it. But, you know, we more are looking for consensus. Like, we're on the, in this yeah. together, you know, and the yeah. guys are like, all right, who's, who's making the decisions right now? Right, you know? right. And it's, you know, it's just a difference. Um, and sometimes, you know, either model might be the better way to approach a specific problem or task. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, I learned that in research. And then I looked back and thought, oh, this explains a lot of what I have experienced mm-hmm. that I didn't understand at the time. Yeah. So you came into this company, uh, Fortune 50 company, and you were a woman, short, and uh, Southern accent. And how do you have examples or stories about how you were treated differently uh, than the men back then? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, there are two that spring to mind, and, and neither one of them were, you know, probably uh, career-defining, but they, they were at least illustrative. One was, um, I mentioned that I was in marketing, and we worked with an advertising agency, you know, mm-hmm. big New York you know, Fifth Avenue kind mm-hmm. of advertising agency. Now, I was the the low man on the totem pole, but, you know, come Christmas, gifts got exchanged oh, and all okay. of that kind of thing. Um, well, the men, uh, in fact, almost everybody on the team got, you know, something like a bottle of scotch mm. for their, you know, holiday gift. I got um, some some lovely stationery and a book on etiquette ah. that they thought that I would like. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't pass that out to the guys, the etiquette book? No, no, they didn't. They didn't. Um, so that was, uh, you know, a little bit of a clue as to how I was being seen. So, you know, I, I knew I had to work on that. Do you like scotch? Uh, not not particularly, but, yeah. you but know. But they didn't know that. They didn't know if they the guys liked that. scotch or right, drinking right. it. But that's, that's interesting. And, you know, when they gave the gifts, I assume that they didn't really even think there was anything wrong with that. They thought, no, well, she's no. not going to like scotch like the men are. Let's give her something right. more appropriate, some right. stationery. I mean, I, you know, I think there was it was kind of like looking at a bug, you know, on the table and sort of poking it and saying, well, <laughs> well if we do this, what will it do? <laughs> but, you know, I was very much outside the mold. You know, again, this right. is a Fortune 50 company. Not only was it male-dominated at that time, and, I mean, there were virtually – there were no senior mm-hmm. women on, right. on the scene um, – but it was, you know, it was dominated by people mostly from the Northeast, you mm-hmm. know, Ivy League schools. I'd gone right. to a, you know, well-respected Southern University, mm-hmm. but nevertheless, a Southern mm-hmm. University, not an Ivy. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't really know quite what to do with me. Right. So you're br- they were bringing, this is who you are. You're coming into this and probably comparing yourself to other people in the company. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you, if you didn't feel like you were getting respect... How did you gain respect? Well, there were a couple of things. Um, you know, it, through through no action of my own, I did bring a good set of IQ points to the table. You're smart. Yeah, and I knew, and I knew that. You know, I, I I bring that to the table, and I used a strategy that I actually learned in college, which was in college the way the way it worked was you walk in the first day, you sit in the front row, so the professor will see you. But then you don't say anything. Don't say anything until you have something that you know is really smart to say. And then say that. 
Okay. And that sets the tone for the whole So you did that in college, and then you yep. brought that into your work world. Right. So one of the things mm-hmm. I learned was, you know, sa- save your breath for when you can s- contribute something that you know is, is smart and, and important mm-hmm. and that people will appreciate, you mm-hmm. know, so you don't uh, make things fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Um, Good. That was one thing. The other story I wanted to tell you about different treatment, which, you know, again, in retrospect, it's 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 kind of funny, um, but it had to do with a performance review. Now, that here I'm a year, two, three into my career, and I was having a, a conference with my two-up manager, you know, and I'm, I'm looking for, you know, certainly constructive Some criticism, right. you know, solid feedback, mm-hmm. hopefully of, you know, a few compliments. And he focused his remarks on the fact that as as small as I was, that I should endeavor to always wear the highest possible heels <laughs> in order to increase my physical presence. I mean, that was it. That yeah. was that was what he had for me. Yeah, um, you're doing great, but you got to wear some heels to yeah. be taller. And, and right? I mean, I already wore heels. It's like what you know, three is not enough. Three inches is not enough. Kills <laughs> <I mean, laughs> your feet. But you know, I did have to admit that. I mean, he took his own advice. He this this guy was over six feet, mm-hmm. but he always wore a little bit of elevated heels. Um, so I guess he he took that seriously. And and the fact is, he was not wrong. Now, heel, higher heels are not the solution, but he was not wrong. I had a small physical right. presence, and it matters. It makes a difference. And, he, and he, I'm guessing that he probably didn't really mean anything by it. He, no, he, he just was trying was, to help. It's this constructive criticism. Here's what you ought to do, you know? Yeah. And uh, that, you know, you can't really get away with that today. Like, <laughs> no. if somebody comes in for a performance review, it's like, right. yeah, your legs would look better if you had, you know, taller heels or, you know. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't do that today. Yeah. He, you know, and it was, I mean, it was all I could do to not laugh. It was like, mm-hmm. well, you know, I'm, I am not going to have long legs in this life. No, <laughs> this is not happening. Up, right? <laughs> yeah. So you hear that feedback, and I assume you didn't do anything with it other than to listen to it and take it in. You didn't say anything like, why are you telling me to wear higher heels? And today, would you give advice to a young woman about about feedback like that, that would be how to handle it differently? Or... You know, when I was young, I, it was kind of like I was just trying to get along and not yeah. upset the apple cart. Well, I certainly was not going to, you know, talk back to my two-up boss. And, you know, again, remember, you know, I came into this company really naive about the business world. I was mm-hmm. very naive about the business world. So I certainly was not going to push back on my two-up boss at that time. Right. Now, if I met the same man today, I would have a conversation, of course. Right. But, you know, I've reached senior status now, and, you know, I have have the confidence to know, you know, what is appropriate and what isn't. Of course, he wouldn't say that. But if I were talking to a younger woman today, mm-hmm. I, w- I might very well say, you know, your physical presence matters. Mm-hmm. Now, you might manage that you know, you are what you are physically, right? I, I would never say wear higher heels. But I might talk about, you know, how do you carry yourself? How do you, uh, you know, what what do you wear mm-hmm. to have some presence? How do you modulate your voice? Um, those things are controllable, and they do make a difference. Right. And, you know, what I think you're saying is what I've done around bias. We know the biases exist, so we sort of handle ourselves around the biases. 
Of course. You know, we're not coming into the office with hoodies on. You know, we're dressing a certain way. We're carrying ourselves a certain way. We're speaking in a way that is professional, you know. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole sort of a personal brand that you bring to your job. And so when I think about that, it's like, you know, their biases are out there. But as much as you can, if you want to succeed, it's almost like you've got to manage around them, right? Well, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, you you have to think about how you want to be viewed, right? Yes. Um, And if you don't want to be viewed as a shrinking violet, for example, you can't can't be tentative Mm -hmm. uh, in how you speak. Right. Um, You have to be willing to take a stand, take a clear stand. You have to be willing to to speak with some confidence and some authority. Mm -hmm. Um, Whatever you do, don't go up at the end of a sentence as though uh, you're asking a question. question. You know, that's the thing that drives me crazy. Yeah, that one drives me. Here's another thing and see what you think about this. There are a lot of women that I've met in their 30s that have these little tiny voices. I call it the Minnie Mouse voice. Yeah. And it's another thing around biases that it's hard to respect what she has to say when she's sounding like a 12-year-old, right? Right. So you can naturally bring your voice down to a sort of an alto level, I think. Maybe I'm not... Well, some can and some can't. I mean, this is a matter of... You know, know what you have, know what you have to work with, what you can control, what you can't control. Um, we're talking here about the physical, but of course that, you know, has to do with other skill sets mm-hmm. and, and things as well. The principle is the same. You really have to be very clear out about what you have, what you can control, and how you want to use it. So, yes, um, I made a habit a long time ago of speaking in a, in a more alto level voice. Yes, right. I do too. Um, I have too. Yeah, I mean, I did that consciously. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned to walk very straight. You know, I'm never going to be tall, but, I, you know, I won't be slouchy. Right. No, my um, mother taught me that one. Right, right. Bring the shoulders back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, put your head up, hold your chin up, right. and go. Right, uh, And, the, you know, those things, they do. They make a difference. Mm-hmm. They do. Let's talk about strengths. And I, I believe that as women, whoever works in business, you bring different strengths in. Tell me about some of the strengths that helped you as you interview people and mm-hmm. then as you're delivering that information right. to the client. Right. Um, I, find, I find this interesting about the career path that I've chosen. Um, as I mentioned, I in, in my career, I do less interviewing now. I do more running the company now, but I've done a lot of interviews in my mm-hmm. life. And what I found is that one of the reasons I'm, I'm good at it uh, is that it, because I'm small, because I'm Southern, I am so not threatening to <laughs> <You're> anybody. Not. <laughs> People will tell me things. Um, you can't believe what they'll tell you. Because they trust you sort of automatically, just you're non-threatening. Well, right, yeah. right. I mean, they trust me that I'm not going to do anything, you know, with that information to hurt them. Um, I communi- can communicate very easily that, yes, I am really interested in what you have to say. It mm-hmm. is valuable to me, and I really want to understand it and understand it thoroughly, and please help me do that. And they will. They will. So I can get things in an interview um, 
that that is a big asset in that yes, in that right. line of work. I mean, right. there are other skills, but it it is an asset to be small female with a southern accent. Southern accent. So they're coming in, right. they're telling you things that you need to hear to deliver yeah. to your client that maybe they wouldn't have right. given to, you know, sure, a tall, sure. good-looking, athletic man. And that's, you know, that comes naturally to me, you know, mm-hmm. and I was also, I was raised in the South. I was raised in the South in a time when, you know, women were very gentle and inviting. I know how to do that. Yes. Then, though, I have to take what I learned in the interview go into the you know, the conference room with the clients. And then that's when I put on my more authoritative uh, mm-hmm. self right, and be able to speak with confidence to say, look, here's, here's what they said. Here's what they meant. Uh, you know, connecting the dots and finding the themes and the story and all that. Here's what it means for your business. And most importantly, here's what you should do with your business. Now, those last two steps, not every researcher can do that, and I couldn't do it had I not spent that 15 years as a user of market research right. running a business. So I know what people need to do with this information, right. and I know I know how to run a business. Sure, and that comes through to the client, and what you've right. done is you've taken strengths that help you get what you need in the interview right? and then take different strengths that you have and deliver it to the client. Yep, I, like I've often said a switch. it is. It's it's like a toggle switch where you go from one set of skills to another set of skills, mm-hmm. and you're the same person. It's just you have different yeah. skills to be able to be successful and accomplish what you need to. Right, and it's nice because clients clients usually recognize from the interview that I've been able to get get things that not everybody could get. Mm-hmm. So that adds to your authority. You know, they have confidence in you. Mm-hmm. Already, and then if you can come back and speak with authority, deliver it, and of course it goes without saying to do it right. You know that you've done it properly. Yeah, um, it you know works for me. Yeah, talk about mentors. How do you think women should be looking at mentors? Did you have mentors as you navigated your career? Have you mentored women? What would you? What advice would you give? Well, I would say I would say yes to all of those. Again, you know, looking back to my early days, and let me say again, boy, I came in, I came into a Fortune 50 company so naive, and I did have a couple of mentors, and they were very valuable to me. Um, they probably saved my career in the early early days, got me through the early days. I wish I'd had a lot more. Mm-hmm. I really do. Um, one of the things I would like to talk about, though, is is and to differentiate from mentors. You know, there's a lot of discussion about mentors. Everybody knows you need mentors. Goes without saying. Go get mentors. Cultivate them. Right. Um, but you also need advocates, and you need to mm-hmm. recognize the difference and make sure that you are cultivating advocates who may or may not be mentors. An ad, in my mind, when I say an advocate. You will need people who are willing to spend their political capital in the company on your behalf. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the ones that will stand up and speak for you maybe when you're not there. They are the ones who, you know, we talked earlier about uh, it's very hard for you to say, oh, well, I had that idea two weeks ago and nobody paid any attention. That's where you need the advocate to say, wait a minute. You know, yeah. Hope said Hope that said two that weeks already. ago. Yeah. Um, you can't really say it gracefully, but they can. And it can be a man or a woman. It can be a man or a woman, an and, it, and it may well be a mentor. Not all right. mentors are advocates. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
cult- being very aware of cultivating both mentors and advocates is advice that I would give to any any young person, but particularly mm-hmm. a young woman mm-hmm. uh, in their earlier days of their career, mm-hmm. because it's just so important in navigating these corporate waters. Right. And it, it can be an advocate within the company, or we have what we call ambassadors in our business, where they mm-hmm. refer business to us. They're, right. they're really like people that you know are on your team. Yeah. And that are supportive of you. And you can right. tell when people are supportive of Absolutely. you. And when they're not, right? Yeah. They're the ones who will give you a positive quote to put on your website. They yes. will refer you to new business. Um, boy, do you need those people. You can't have uh, – I don't think you can have a career within the corporate environment or as an entrepreneur mm-hmm. without those people. Right. Had you gotten any advice about relationship building and how important that is? Yes, I did. And, you know, again, you, I can tell you how I heard it at the time, and I will mm-hmm. tell you how I think about it now. Um, early on in my career, one of my mentors, who was who was one of the senior women at my company. Now, senior, I mean, the most senior women were maybe two levels up from me, mm-hmm. so it wasn't like she was way, way up, but she was ahead of me, so she knew more than I did. Um, she recommended that I spend about 50% of my time on work and about 50% of my time cultivating relationships. Mm. And at the time, I thought, well, yes, yes, okay, I get it. You should cultivate some relationships, you know, the mentors and the advocates and all that. Right. But I thought 50-50, that is ridiculous. That is a gross exaggeration. You know, I have a lot of work to do. I am scrambling to get this work done. I can't do 50% of my time, you know, going to lunch or uh, doing favors or joining clubs or playing golf. I, you know, I can't do it. Now that I look back on it, I say, now fifty fifty is probably about right. Mm-hmm. And men do it, don't yeah. you think? Uh, a lot of men do that. Oh, they, absolutely. A lot of relationship building that, that I've goes seen on. It and, so many times, yeah. so many times. Right. And you know, at the end of the day, um, I think this is true for business, but it's also true for other kinds of organizations. You know, mm-hmm. like we've done board work together yes. in the nonprofit sector. Mm-hmm. Almost any organization. At the end of the day, I think they run more on relationships than Mm. almost anything. And sometimes it's a matter of who you know, but more importantly, who knows you and who trusts you Mm -hmm. can really make the difference between a great career and an okay career. Right. Definitely so. Good advice. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, that's just so important. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about a couple of things that... um, that I think are important to women in careers as they're navigating, even if they're young, they have to they have to embrace confidence and resourcefulness. Can you talk about those attributes? Oh my yes, oh my yes. <laughs> well, I think you know the confidence. We've we've talked about that a bit. Um, confidence get, when you are confident in in your work and mm-hmm. what you have to say. You, it is much easier to speak with authority. It is uh, people pay attention. If you, if it comes across that you are not confident, nobody's going to have confidence in you. People read it, right? It, it you know, it just mm-hmm. it comes out. Now, this assumes that in fact you have done your homework. Of course, all of this discussion assumes, isn't it interesting? We assume that women are capable and competent. They have done their work. They've done it well. They know the answers. You know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes a matter of how do you present it? How do you present yourself? 
Um, confidence also goes over to, I think, your your willingness to take risks. Mm. You know, if you're going to have a career that moves ahead, you you have to say yes. Mm-hmm. You have to say yes when opportunities come up, even if deep in your heart of hearts, you're not totally 100% sure you're ready for that. But you say yes, and you say it with confidence because you know, okay, I've done it before. The worst that can happen is, you know, maybe I'll screw up, but nothing's irrevocable. Right. Um, you have so a backup yes. plan. That's when I started my company. I thought I can always go back and be a lender if I want to, if it doesn't yeah. work out. Right, right, right. But I think a lot of women don't take risks. They're too afraid of making a mistake. They're too afraid it's not going to work out. They don't look at the, you know, here's what happened, oh, yeah. you know, it happens if it doesn't work out. But you came from a family of entrepreneurs, so, and, and we know how, how, hard it is, you know, and how much mm-hmm. work's involved, but it's just like, I don't know if it's going to work out, but it's feeling like it's something I'm called to do. You well, know? exactly so. And and uh, again, it's that a willingness to say yes. And I will say, at this point, as I look back on my career, the one regret that I have is that I, when I look back and say, you know, this could have gone better, that could have gone better. Ninety percent of the time, it was because I didn't set the bar high enough for myself. Mm, I've done that. I thought I could only get to here. You know, I set a goal and said, boy, if I can get there, that would be great. And I did. I got there. But then I look back and think, I could have gotten 10 percent more, 20 percent more, you know, another level, uh, you know, more business, whatever it is. I set the bar too low. That was my biggest mistake. That was the most consistent mistake I made. Mm -hmm. So my advice to younger women is... Have confidence in yourself. Trust yourself. Set the, be audacious. Audacious was the word that came to mind. Yeah, mm-hmm. have a big audacious goal. There's a acronym out yeah, there. Yeah. I can't I can't call upon it, but yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. Right, right. So yeah, that that would be the advice. Um, you also mentioned resourcefulness. Yes, and I, resourcefulness is something I talk about a lot because I think it is a quality that is not discussed frequently mm-hmm. enough. I agree. Um, you know, we talk about persistence, but sometimes persistence can mean just do the same thing again and try harder. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that works, but most of the time not. So being resourceful, you know, there, there are different words for it. You know, I think of it as kind of a, a creative problem solving. Mm-hmm. And I think I really came to recognize the importance of that in the entrepreneurial setting. Right. You know, when you're the entrepreneur, yeah, you know, the buck stops there. Right. You know, it, and if it there's really an does. obstacle. You've got to find a way to overcome it. That is exactly right. Somehow, um, some way. Right. In a corporate setting, resourcefulness is also also a useful thing. Mm-hmm. But there tend to be more resources available to you. There are more people around you uh, that will help when it's your company and everybody, you know, swivels their eyes and looks at you and says, "What are we going to do now?" You better have an answer, and right. you might, you know, again, sometimes your first try doesn't work, and that's when you start, you know, you downshift into creative problem-solving mode, and you, you know, you figure it out. Right. You just do what has to be done. I remember when I walked into my uh, office space, uh, March of, it's probably 2012, and uh, there was a water main break, and our, our mm-hmm. space was flooded. There was four inches of of water on the floor and yeah. our servers were on the floor. No one could go into their offices and it was three weeks of working with IT and rebuilding drywall and everything. It's just like everybody's looking at me, Susan, what what do we do now? 
and it was up to me to make it right you know get it back to the way it was well right right and you have to figure out okay well if we can't work here we'll work over there or mm -hmm. if this strategy's not working let's try a different strategy mm -hmm. or you know whatever it may be um and they you know those those problems as an entrepreneur those problems come at you pretty pretty fast they do pretty and fast and often <laughs> some days you know you you walk in and you know, your assistant isn't there, a car didn't start, and the copier isn't working, and deals are, you know, need attention, right. you know, so. Well, you know, it's it, that's the thing, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, and particularly if you have, if you're lucky enough to have people working for you, which I do, mm -hmm. and I have good people working for me, great people working for me, you know, if, uh, the easy problems get solved. Somebody else solves them. Right. You know, by the time they get to me, um, it's, you know, people are really puzzled. It's the tougher mm -hmm. ones. Yeah. So I find that as an entrepreneur, you know, I spend a lot of my time solving problems. I know. I know. I understand. I do, too. Yeah, but that's that's good. That's part of the, you you have the ability to do it. Well, and it means everybody else is handling everything else. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the bus is going forward. It's only when the wheels fall off the bus that they call you. So that's that's a good that's thing. Right. Susan, help us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, now let's talk about... Uh, uh, we've come a long way. People say, well, women have come a long way, you know, and you and I have seen it when when it was, you walk into a, a room of your industry associates and say, well, I'm like one of two women here or something <laughs> like that. And and now you see a lot more women in the, in the field, but has it changed enough? Are do we have a level playing field right now? Do, do the young women are are they on a level playing field? Do they think they are? Well, they are not on a level playing field. A lot of them think they are. Mm -hmm. Some of them are astute enough to understand that they aren't. They may or may not understand what's making it unlevel. What you is know? it? Well, I mean, you know, it's a lot of things. A lot of things that we've talked about. Um, you know, all the things that go with a glass ceiling. It has to do with how people perceive you. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of research. I mean, we talked before, for example, about voice. Yes. Um, you know, for a long time, they wouldn't let women anchor the news because they, they had research, and it's, I mean, it's real research. Think about radio. Even if they don't see you, a lower voice, a male voice, carries more authority. People mm -hmm. tend to, you know, believe it more. It's more believable. Um, it, I, I don't know if it's hardwired, but it is certainly embedded in the culture mm -hmm. that we are in at this moment. So all the things that go with being a woman in essentially a man's world. There's, there's also something that I think people, you know, and this is advice that I would give to younger people that you need to really think about. When, when managers give people responsibility, whether it is hiring somebody new, giving them new responsibility, promoting them to a new job, it is natural for a manager to think, okay, I'm going to give this responsibility to you. You are going to be making decisions when I am not there. I, the manager, am not there. So I am looking for somebody that I think will make the best decision, which, of course, I think is the decision that I would make. So I'm looking for somebody that would make my decision when I'm not there, mm -hmm. right? Um, you trust and we their judgment. It. Yeah, right. yeah. You trust their judgment. Um, that they're not going to do something delegating wild, authority. You know? you know they'll carry right. it out. Maybe not exactly how you did it, but 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 you pretty trust close, them. pretty close, right. and you trust that they will get where they need to get. So, what's your first foot down? Well, I look for somebody who's like me. 
And the first indication you have is, well, let's look for somebody who looks like me or has a background like mine or an experience base like mine. Now, again, we know from the research that, in fact, diversity leads to better decisions. But the, the apparently natural thing for humans to do is to create clusters of people who are similar. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. because they hire and promote people who, you know, look like them, act like them, right. whatever. So you're looking for commonalities. So as you think about your career path and navigating your career path, it's not to say you have to make yourself into the image of, of managers, but recognize that that's going to be a part of the decision-making around people who make decisions about your career. Right. And even as an entrepreneur, when you go to sell business to a client, there's an element of that as well. There's just a trust factor the more common ground mm-hmm. you feel. And, you know, right. I do it. You do it. We all do it. Right. We're developing relationships. What do we right. have in common? Where Where is the common ground? How can I connect with you? That's right. where I go into relation. How do I connect with you? And if they're young, male, uh, yeah. it's tougher uh, to connect, but I've, I've always found ways. You know? Well, and that's one of the reasons you're successful. But also, remember what you said. You said it earlier, and I said it too. That is a more natural approach for a woman yes. to take. You know, let me find a you know common ground. Yes. Let me find a connection with you. Mm-hmm. Men are less likely to spend the time and energy to develop those connections. It mm-hmm. seems to not come as naturally to them. Right. So as a woman, I think the onus is kind of on you to... Find the connection. Find the connection. Build the relationship in some way, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's. I think that's maybe sure. why both of us have been have been successful. Uh, let me close out with a question. Um, we talked about risk taking and women. I have seen that women uh, don't like to make mistakes. That they're afraid to make mistakes, and they can spend a lot of time making sure that it's perfect. When the work being excellent can do, you know. Mm-hmm. It just has to be good. It has to be excellent. Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to look over it a million times. And I think women get caught in that trap. And I don't see men getting caught in that trap as much. Do you have any experience with that or stories? Well, oh, yes, absolutely. And it, it goes all the way back. I mean, you can look at, at small children on a playground and and see how adults let boys take much more risks, and it's okay if they make mistakes, whereas girls are expected to maybe stay a little cleaner and stay mm-hmm. a little safer, and, you know, it carries right through. So, yes, obviously there is um, a great deal of that that goes on. Um, I'll tell you a story that, that I find to be a very sad story, and we'll, we'll finish it, and it will be happy because we'll take the lesson from it. Okay. Um, one of I was I was working on a research project, and it was for a project that went on for a couple of years. We did many rounds of research within it, so I got to be kind of a part of this team, but I wasn't employed by them, so I could watch. The there was a I'm going to say young woman, and I don't mean entry level, but she was kind of a mid level manager, mm-hmm. um, and she was in charge of this project. And there were a bunch of men also working on the project. Many of them were at a lower level than she was. But we would go off on these research trips, and she was so concerned with making sure that everything was exactly right. 
I mean, exactly right. She made lists. She took copious notes. She listened to every word of every interview uh, to make sure she never missed anything. She, she, you know, took her notes and spent her evenings putting stuff together and analyzing and all this. Meanwhile, you would see these senior managers show up for the research, and they'd watch a little bit of the interview, and then they would go back to the break room and, you know, maybe be listening remotely. Um, the men would all go with the senior manager while she's sitting in the interview room, you know, taking notes, taking notes, taking notes. They're all in the back talking about, you know, the project and kind of where it's going, the bigger picture, and coming to understand what this senior executive was looking for, what his preconceptions were, all of that stuff. Nights when she's in her hotel room, you know, analyzing all of her notes, they're all out drinking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I saw it at the time, and I thought, man, this is not going to end well. And it didn't. You know, the men ended up getting promoted. She ended up getting pushed out. Um, and it was it was so predictable. Mm-hmm. But she just couldn't let go of all of that detail. That, it, that the work had to be perfect and that what was – how were people going to look at her if the work wasn't right, perfect? Right, right. And she what was putting She was putting way too much value on thorough. Mm-hmm. And not enough value on understanding how are we going to navigate this project through the system and the, the hierarchy picture, the strategy. And, what, and what is the big picture. I'm not right. sure if she even knew what the corporate you know, right. view was. She was just trying to get this mm-hmm. project. She was so focused on this project right. that she, I think, was missing the bigger picture and not building those ever so important relationships. Right. So that's the lesson is building the relationships, having good work, but not perfect work. Right, right. She yeah. so overdid it. Yeah. Great story. Um, that's going to wrap it up. Any final words? Thank you for coming in, and congratulations fun. on your success with your company. Great and job. And congratulations back to you, and congratulations yeah. on this great project. Ah, thank you. I'm enjoying it so far. Can't wait to hear it. Yeah. Thanks, Hope. Thank you for listening today. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Follow us on Instagram at LeadingShe. And visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have many great ideas for women leaders.